Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Good morning, Imago. My name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here. More specifically, I have the privilege of serving uh, this community as an executive pastor. And um, before we actually look at, uh, we're going to look at one verse today, and we're going to just meditate and reflect on it as we kind of uh, sit in this series of practicing the rhythms of grace. And I want to share a story with you about a friend that Michelle and I, my wife Michelle, we have a friend who uh, is a photographer. And um, she's in Los Angeles, and she has photographed the most beautiful people uh, in the world. And over years of taking photographs and portraits and shots um, for magazines, for uh, blogs, for whatever, whatever re- resource uh, was needed that she provided, um, she observed something about the people she worked with that though they were the most beautiful people in the world, she would always give them a chance to pick the photos of them that they liked the most. And she said that um, the vast majority of them struggled to pick a photo they liked. Because regardless of their aesthetic beauty, uh, they, they always found something in a picture that um, they didn't like they always found something that um, they didn't like what they saw. And what she kind of, as she saw that and encountered that, she realized how true that was of herself. And what she decided to do was, because she believed, she's a person of faith, that she's made in the image of God, that her identity is rooted in Christ, that she said, there's, there's beauty there, and I just, I'm going to find it. And so she did the thing that for a lot of us, um, she just, she did something that most of us would never do. She set up cameras and she decided to take pictures of herself every day doing ordinary things until she could see something of value in her. And so she did this for days and days and days. And then she put together a a kind of a, a, a gallery where she put out not only pictures of herself, but pictures of the models that she worked with. And you had to put on these headphones and you would listen to each of the models and her walk you through their journey in finding worth and value in themselves. Today, I, I have, uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, this idea of generosity. And I simply wanna read one verse to you as for us to reflect on. In Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus is quoted where Luke says, You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The reason why I share this story is that there are many reasons why we struggle with generosity, but one of them, I think, that we don't talk about enough is the very thing that these models and this photographer experience. That is, when you and I look at our lives, there are seasons where we really struggle to find anything good within us. You know, this idea of like self-hate is very, very real. If you don't believe me, uh, I know we don't have answering machines anymore, 
but how many of you remember recording that answering machine and listening to the sound of your voice and it felt like taking fingernails and scratching a chalkboard? I have a very deep voice and I was like, I did not realize I just sound so dumb, you know? Oh, oh, you know? I, I mean, like, I had no idea. Another thing, and I hope you can relate to this. If not, this is going to be incredibly terrible, you know. And that is, I find myself in this strange habit that whenever I look at the photos of the five-year-ago Alex, I always think he was a lot better looking than the guy today. But you know what's funny? Is that if I took a time machine back to that five-year-ago self, I did not feel good when I took that picture. And so there's this constant and strange thing that in, in our present moment, we are grappling and wrestling with seeing and knowing and understanding the glory of God, the grace of God that dwells in us richly. And I would argue that that is uh, one of the reasons we struggle with generosity because uh, I would say this, that you know, to, to think about any virtue, any virtue, let alone generosity, we have to remember there are, there are two things going on, that we are made in the image of God, therefore endowed with a glory, a beauty beyond measure. But we also know from Scripture and from experience that we are also fallen saints. We are people who are imperfect. We are people who struggle. We are people marked by brokenness. And so both of these things are at, at play, but I, I want to say this, that part of the thing that we don't think about enough when we talk about virtues and our struggle to live out those virtues is that we, because we're made in the image of God, some of those virtues, friends, are actually really natural for us to do. Look at Instagram and Yelp. What are they? If not, literally, us, uh, uh, the generosity of the human spirit saying, I ate here. It's awesome. You have to try this. Very few people take a bite of a, a, a French baguette in Portland. By the way, Portland bakeries are, are incredible. And very few people will take a bite of uh, Little T's baguette. That's actually a plug. You should go check it out. Best baguettes in Portland. Nobody takes a bite of that and says, I'm not going to tell anybody. In fact, if there's anybody that you care about that's next to you, you're probably going to rip half of it and hand it to them. And we naturally share. We naturally evangelize. We naturally, I don't mean we force ourselves or we pray about it, we naturally give away the things that we believe are amazing and or have great value. And so if you and I struggle from time to time with generosity, perhaps it's not just because of the sin of greed. It's not just this desire, this brokenness in us that wants to hoard and hoard and have more. That's certainly at play. I don't want to deny that, but I want to also talk about something that the church, capital C, doesn't address enough, which is this, this thing inside of us that is natural, but yet it doesn't always express itself. And I think it's because you and I, we struggle to see 
that our experiences and what we have, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, has any value or worth to be useful to other people. Greed is very real. Greed is one of the deadly sins. And I think one of the reasons why it's deadly is not that it, it's, it, it's deadly because it keeps us from offering things to people. It keeps us, it almost blocks this idea of we are blessed to be a blessing. And, but there's another reason why it's so deadly, and that is because it is one of the hardest of all the seven deadly sins to detect in your life. It is not hard for me to identify my gluttony. You can't hear me preach a sermon without one reference to food. The problem runs so deep that at our staff meetings, we have a Tuesday lunch. While we're eating food, I'm talking about more food. That's not hard for me to, to grapple with. Anger is not a, a, a seven, one of the seven things that's hard for me to recognize. But I once read that a Catholic priest sat in a booth, a confession booth, for 28 years, and never once did he hear anyone say, Father, forgive me, for I have been greedy. This year marks my 26th year in ministry, and I have never, ever once heard anyone, including myself, say these words, I need to be forgiven for I'm greedy. It is the undetectable sin which therein lies its deadliness. But on the other hand, this idea of not understanding the value that we have through the eyes of God is one of these things that we, we, we struggle with deeply. And I think that if we're going to learn how to be a generous people, if we are going to practice generosity, out of the overflow of the belief that God has saved us, redeemed us, he is abundant in his mercies and grace, then I think one of the things that you and I are going to have to do is begin an intentional journey of gratitude. I think gratitude is such an indispensable part of, the, of, of generosity because what is gratitude other than acknowledging a gift from either God or from a person and by acknowledging it, you're actually declaring its worth. You're declaring its value. And until we see all the value that has been poured into us by the people around us and by God himself, we will never see the value we have, and therefore we will never offer it naturally like we do as image bearers of God. You know, one of the things that we, uh, we kind of... Uh, I had to learn through therapy. I've been, in, I, I've been in therapy for five years. And one of the things I've learned is that both my pain and my joys, those memories, I have pushed out. They are repressed. And so part of the work of therapy is actually going back to that childhood. And it's doing the very painful and hard work of re revisiting those hard spaces. And what I have found is that, uh, and I, I've kind of, I've kind of, uh, I've been walked through a process by my therapist where, number one, she's going to ask me how I feel. I don't know how I feel, so I pull out my feelings wheel, and I circle what I feel, right? Because you ask somebody how they feel, they will nine times out of ten tell you what they think, not how they feel. And so I don't have time to figure that out during a session that costs 150 a session. So I, I, I got to circle that before the session. 
So I circle the feelings wheel, and then she'll ask me the question, where do you feel it in your body? I have about four or five centers where if I close my eyes and I take a deep breath, that thing shows up somewhere in my body. And then I know the third question she's going to ask me is, when is your earliest memory of that physical, that physical manifestation? And then I got to go back and I think of it, and then she'll pause again and say, how do you feel now? And then she, she, she ends it with my least favorite question, what are you going to do to take care of yourself? And I think what is true of pain is also true of joy. I think it's true not only of the harsh words we've heard from parents or loved ones, but it's also true of the kind words we've heard from people. We have been told time and time again, and we've been reminded by the people around us of the beauty that dwells, the glory that dwells within us. And you and I, if you're like me, you shove that away just as much as you shove your pain away. And so just like the work of therapy is to, at least one aspect of the work of therapy, is to recover and reclaim those memories, I think we need to do that with joy and, and, and happiness. I think we need to do that with blessing and grace and mercy. This is actually where you could Google it one day. The prayer of examine functions like this, where you think about the desolations, the hard things, the moments of your day that felt like death. But you're also, in that prayer, supposed to steward, taking an inventory of your consolations. Those moments you came alive. Those, those moments where the butterflies filled you with excitement and anticipation, or where you just felt total peace and calmness. And I think one of the parts of our journey is that we have to, uh, uh, we have to take this journey and be intentional with this idea of gratitude, taking an inventory of all the good things that have come our way. And I'll tell you this, in the beginning, it's going to be hard. Because most of us, on our worst days, really feel the loneliness that we're one of the few people God doesn't bless regularly. But when we take an inventory and we see, all of a sudden, not only will we see those moments around us, we will see a life, a life filled with the testimony of God's blessing and favor and kindness in our life. And as we steward those and we accept them and we, we don't push them off to the side because we're uncomfortable with compliments or we're uncomfortable with goodness and kindness, but we absorb them, if we absorb them, then what you will find is that each day you will realize that what is side by side in your life and mine is this idea that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. That we are, we are people who are simultaneously uh, amazing at things and struggle at some of the most basic things. And that both are true until Jesus finishes his good work in us. I think this is one of those things that's really hard for us to recognize is that we are both. That on the one hand, and I'll say this, the more deeply you care about something, the more terrible and good you will feel about your place in that. 
I love my kids. And I'll tell you, I feel like a terrible father. I feel like a terrible father all the time. I remember one time where, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because, like, I was, uh, when my wife was getting ready to deliver our first child, I don't know if I share this joke story already. It's not a joke, it's a story. It's a real story. <laughs> I'm the joke. But my wife was getting ready to deliver our first child, and after she gave birth to Lynn, um, the doctors came in and showed us a video on never shake your child. And I was like, what kind of evil person shakes a child? And then, I'll say this, I have never shaken any of my children, never. But I have vibrated all of them, <laughs> intensely. Never, I never, no, but vibrate, yes. And I, when I, when I go through those moments, it's like the more I care about something, the more intensely I feel the good and the bad. And so for us, we have to walk down this journey of remembering these two sides of the same coin that is us. I think recovering our sense of self-worth not only comes through counting our blessings, but I think another way that it comes is when we meditate on the cross and what the cross says about us. Number one, one of the things the cross tells us and what the gospel reminds us of is that the cross is a, is a reminder. It's a, it's a powerful reminder that our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Not the sins of bad people, the sins of all of us. Everything we've ever done, they nailed him to the cross. W.H. Auden is a British poet who has one of the best and worst Christian testimonies I've ever heard in my life. He, when he became a Christian, it shocked the academic world. His friends said, you are an intelligent, brilliant man. What, are, what is this nonsense that you're a Christian? Explain yourself. Why are you a Christian? And he said the funniest thing. He said, uh, he said because the God of the Bible fulfills none of my dreams, and is in every way the opposite of what I would imagine him to be. Uh, I'm like, excuse me? Like, that's a, uh, don't give him the microphone during testimony time. <laughs> it's almost like the opposite of the preachers we hear today, right? He says, he fulfills none of my dreams and is in every way the opposite of a God that I would create if I could create. Now, you have to understand the power of this because he's a writer, he's a poet, he's a creative. His imagination runs wild. And what he's saying is, my imagination would never create a God like this. Makes no sense. Then they asked him, but that doesn't really explain why you're a Christian. That just explains why you believe in God. Why are you a Christian? And he said, because in all my study of world religions, no other religion invokes in me, makes me cry out, crucify him. Again, don't give that guy the microphone during testimony time. Why are you a Christian? Because he don't do nothing for me, and I, 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 wanna, I yell crucify. I mean, like, but, and I had to think about this for a long time. What, why did he say that? 
Anybody in this room who has ever had somebody help deliver them out of a pit will understand that very, very readily. Those of you who have physical trainers, and they're huffing and puffing, saying 110%, 110%. I'm like, you say 110%, there's no 100%. Like, be quiet. I'll say this. There isn't a trainer in this world that is successful and good at what they do without being hated by the people they're helping. I also had to learn this the hard way when one of my close friends became a drug addict. He was addicted to heroin. And I remember when he went into a rehab center, the nurses told us, like, he, and he later shared with us, while he was detoxing, he was punching and kicking the face of everybody trying to get this out of his system. When someone is delivering us from something, if we don't at some point hate them, they are not doing their job. And that's the profound, the profound insight that W.H. Auden had about the reality of the cross. Is that in some sense, our sins are far worse than we thought. Because they're not just moral blemishes. They are the very thing that makes us cry out, crucify him. Because to the very one who's trying to deliver us and save us. But there's something else about the cross you have to put alongside that. And that is that it's not, our sins may have nailed him to the cross, but it was his love that kept him there, not the nails. And his love kept him on that cross because of this really, really strange truth that is very easy to forget, and that is that Jesus would rather die than live without us. Jesus would rather go through and to hell itself if it means living without us. And while the gospel is painfully honest about the depth of our struggle, it is magnificent in its view of God's love over us. And so on the one hand, we have this idea that Because he would rather die than live without us, the cross gives us eyes to see the values that we have in the eyes of God. And this is not some psychobabble to make you feel better about yourself and a self-help, a self-esteem seminar, but rather, no, this cuts to the very core of who we are. That we are loved despite our imperfections, our darkness, our struggles. I want to share with you two opportunities that are coming up in the life of Imago that I think will be powerful invitations as we think about the call to generosity. The first one is Pastor Michelle Jones in March will be starting something called Story Groups. And I love, and and not only do I love it, she's the only one that could come up with something like this. There's no pastor in America that's going to see the value of storytelling as discipleship. But this is really, really important. Let me tell you why. Because generosity is not just about giving your money. Yes, I'm the executive pastor saying it's not all about money. True generosity is being, coming to a place where you can offer all of yourself to people. 
And I think one of the ways that we can do that is actually by learning how to tell our story. And one of the things Michelle is going to do is walk the church through the art of storytelling because, you see, a good storyteller can grab people's attention and keep their attention and focus on the story. But a great storyteller somehow creates space for you to see yourself in their story. And I think one of the things that we want to do is as we travel this world as saints and sinners, as we travel this world as people who are made in the image of God, but also who have some flaws, it's going to be really important to offer that story to other people. Parker Palmer, there's a book, there's a few books on my shelf, there's not a lot, there's a few books on my shelf that I read every year. I just have to read them every year. One of them is a book called uh, Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. And in that, he talks about how there's this phrase the Quakers use called let your life speak, and he for years misunderstood it because he thought it was actions speak louder than words. And so like Mother Teresa, let your life speak volumes about God by your actions. But as he studied Quaker theology more deeply, he realized that that's not what he was talking about. But rather what it is, is like you have to take an inventory, look at your story, revisit your story, uh, uh, go back and, and, and replay, just like our friend had to take snapshots. I'm going to look at pictures every day until I see glory in myself. It is to look at the pictures of our lives. And in it is a story. And in that we have to let that story speak which is the very word where we get vocation, voice, that comes up from within. And so one of the things I want to ask you is that if you're interested in this, when you go outside to the info tables, there's going to be an interest form that you can fill out if you're interested in this. But I think storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we can actually live generous lives by offering ourselves, especially that 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 re the dual reality that we are saints and sinners. The second opportunity that we have is covenant community that's going to go through somewhat of a reboot through our elders this year. And the reason why I love this invitation and the timing of this invitation and, and its relationship to generosity is this, is that both struggles of generosity, greed and gratitude, both require community to help you through. I told you greed is something that you can't see in your life. It's only something that, that can uh, be experienced as uh, you, nobody, we can't detect greed in our lives. We just can't do it. And so one of the ways that we have to do it is we have to intentionally commit ourselves to giving, to receiving, and give away. To receive and give away. To receive and give away. And in that rhythm, what ends up happening, it's the only way you can be sure that the gifts have not become more important than the giver. There is no other litmus test. And another reason why I think the covenant community is really important is because it, we, our friend Cassia had to use a camera to take a picture of herself because she can't go outside of herself to see herself. I mean, she could look in the mirror, but after a while it gets tiring. And that camera for us is this community.
we will need people in our lives to call out the Christ that dwells in us. We're going to need people in our lives who will see, acknowledge, and call out not only just the sin. That's not the, the, the sin is just only one part of the covenant. The other side of it also is to call out the Christ that dwells in you richly. If you struggle with self-worth, if you struggle with greed, these are things that community helps us with. In a moment, our worship team's going to come up and lead us in a time of song, but also we're going to go into a moment of communion. If you guys remember in, when Jesus instituted this beautiful and sacred meal, he said, just do this in remembrance of me. If you are a parent and you are going to be taking communion with your child, I want to ask that you really emphasize to offer words of remind your children of what it is this meal represents. Remind them that in some sense there's the bad news we are broken and lost, but there's the great news that we are also redeemed and saved and that Jesus did what he did because he would rather die than live without us. But for, the, for others of you, I want to actually ask that you do something. And that is, if it's possible, pause and wait before you take communion. This, is, this might make it take a little longer. But until you can recall a blessing, until you can remember a blessing, going to ask that you just stay in a moment of reflection and meditation. Now at some point, at some point, some of us are in seasons of life where five, ten, two hours, we're not gonna, we can't, we're not going to be able to draw, to that, uh, draw that out really easily. And at some point, I'm just going to ask that you just walk by faith to the front and take it as an understanding that Jesus, though I can't see it today, I, I'm going to take this by faith and ask that you show me, help me to see the journey that you have brought me on the favor, the blessing, the grace, and the mercy. And in this way, together we will take communion as renewal in remembrance of who we are and what we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as people in many ways so naturally able to share, to love, and to extend generosity. But on the other hand, we, we truly do wrestle with our sense of worth. Whether it is our professional work, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our talents or skills that were acquired, in some sense, there's a struggle to know that this, any of this has any value whatsoever. So, Father, I pray that you would restore to us not just the joy of our salvation, but would you restore to us the, the things that you have done to remind us of that salvation. And as we recall the great works of you in our lives that have been done through simple things like providing meals, giving us air to breathe, 
giving us health, giving us relationships, giving us opportunities. I pray that through them we would see, we would, they would be little windows through which we see our value in you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would renovate our hearts again so that we could naturally again be who we were designed to be, to, to receive and to give away. To receive and to give away. And I also pray that you would help us to do this in community, together with others, not isolated from the people that you've placed in our lives, but connected to them in covenant. God, we look to you. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.